now together for Daniel, I mean for David Barrios. We pray for this young man who loves you dearly. We ask God that you would touch his body, that you would uh, uh, cause the doctors in the emergency room to diagnose correctly, giving him the correct medicine or, or the water to flush his body out, whatever it might be, Lord, that you would lead and guide and direct in his healing. And pray for Desiree and, and Pastor Danny, Lord, that you would bless them as they care for their son and are concerned for their children. Bless them, Lord. And others in our fellowship that are sick, uh, those that are hurting, Rachel with her cancer and, and the therapy going well, for uh, those that have recovered from cancers, and, and Lord, those that are sick and have fallen, Marilyn and, and uh, kidney failure and Carol and and others, Lord, that we know, we lift them up before you now as a fellowship. We care for them, and we ask, God, that you would touch them, that you would heal them, and that you would give them peace in their trial, in their physical infirmity. Lord, that they would have peace that surpasses all understanding. And so, Lord, do that tonight. And as we turn now to your word, we pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. How we thank you for the word, how incredible it is, how beautiful it is, Lord. And so may it bring to us tonight application for our lives today, even these Old Testament uh, passages. Lord, may we learn and be instructed by your word. In Jesus we pray, amen, amen. Let's open our Bibles to Numbers chapter three. We're at the very beginning in our study here in Numbers. We've been studying the Old Testament for quite a while on, on Wednesday night, and one of the things that I hope that you, you really understand is without understanding the Old Testament, you can't really understand the new. You really need to know the old to understand the new, and I hope that you're getting that. I think that some of you have come and, and told me about how you have been really excited about the truths that we find. They're hidden truths. They're hidden in the Old Testament, and when you come to the New Testament and read, they just jump right off the page and help you understand that, that the new is the old concealed, the old is the new revealed, and, and that's how it is. We have the same God. He operates the same way, Old and New Testament, and it's beautiful the way his plan of redemption is so gorgeous. We see it in Christ but it's pre-pictured in all of the illustrations in the Old Testament that we've been looking at. In fact, Paul in Romans says this. He says, for whatever things were written before, were written for our learning. This is how important the Old Testament is and for us to study it. Paul says that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So understanding the Old Testament, we're given hope. And then Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, now, all these things happen to them as examples. Happen to who? The Old Testament patriarchs, the Old Testament uh, people. Everything happened to them. Notice, for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. So studying the Old Testament is vitally important for you as a Christian to grow. Can't grow without the Old Testament. Can't grow without a, a good diet of Old and New Testament. That's why most through the Bible reading programs, you know, that you read through the Bible in one year. If you've started one of those, you'll notice you're going to read Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverb every day. You're going to read a little bit from the Bible. And as you read through those passages, even though you don't really get it every time, I don't get it the first time I read either, you'll get a greater understanding of the whole scriptures and you'll be encouraged to do what the people in Numbers are encouraged to do, to walk by faith. That's what we're learning in Numbers. And the, by the way, the reason it's called Numbers is because of the numbering. We're looking at censuses. We're going to look at another one tonight. God is numbering the people. They are beginning a brand new nation of people called out from among all the people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and his sons, Israel. And his 12 sons, the 12 tribes, that's who we're studying. They're the ones that were saved from and redeemed and delivered from Egyptian bondage, 400 years of it. They've been at the Mount Sinai for a year as we come to our study in, in Numbers. They've been delivered. God's given them 10 commandments. 
God is going to miraculously provide, but he's got to organize these people. There are a lot of them. Remember, there's, there's over 600,000 fighting men, and when you add women and children to that, you have a 2.5, some scholars believe, 3 million people. And I, I love to say this, and, and there is a tent camping beach trip coming up for families, and you know that, hopefully. And when we go camping, and if you're planning on going camping, it's going to take you the next six months to get ready for that. You know it. You got to buy stuff, and then you got to pack stuff, and then you got to provide, and you got to ziplock stuff and get ready for your week. Can you imagine camping with two and a half million people? Can you imagine the organization and order that had to take place in order to get these people from one place to another? That's what we're learning here. God is numbering, He's organizing, He's ordering these people, because they're going to go through the wilderness and they're going to be attacked by the enemy. Just like you and I are in the wilderness of this world, we're not of the world, right? We're in the world and we're walking through the wilderness in this world. And while we walk through the wilderness in this world, we're attacked by the enemy and we find ourselves in battles. Be honest with me tonight. If you are in a battle right now or just come out of a battle, raise your hand. I want to see it. So you understand what I'm talking about. Those of you that don't raise your hand, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just, you're not listening right now. We're all in battles. That's the point, right? When we're going through the wilderness and we're in a battle, we're in the wicked, this wicked world. That's what we're learning here about these people. And they got to learn to walk by faith. They're in a battle and God's preparing them. He's got to get these, these millions of people through. the. So he organizes them. He numbers them and he sets them around the camp in a strategic way because they're going to be attacked and they, they need to be able to respond. They need to be able to defend themselves. They're a bunch of farmers. These people are, they're herdsmen. That's all they do. And they've been slaves for 400 years. They've been in bondage. They don't know how to fight. They've been whipped and beat into submission, and now they're going to have to fight. They're going to have to fight the enemy. That's what God is doing. He's working. So he's arranged them. He's put them in order. I have a picture here, I think, of, there's the picture. That, again, artist rendering. Tonight we're going to talk about, if you look at this, the front of the tabernacle, there's these two tents. That's Aaron and, and Moses, they're right at the gate. They're at the front of the, the tabernacle. And all around the tabernacle, that's what we're going to look at tonight, the tribes of Levi. Levi and his sons are the ones that are around the closest to the tabernacle. And then last week, remember, in chapter 2, it was the organizing of the other 11 tribes. They're all around. The other tribes are all around. And then you have the tribe of Levites that are right around the tabernacle. God has arranged them all perfectly. God is a God of order. He's a God of, of, uh, of order of all kinds. When was the last time you picked a rose and just looked at it? Look at, just look at the intricate design of the petal and how orderly that rose is or like me, I love stuff that flies. Have you ever looked at a bird's feather? It's so perfect. It's so orderly. God is a God of order. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, let all things be done in God's church decently and in order. Throughout the Bible, you see that. God is a God of order. Now, we've seen God doing this. He's preparing his people to fight. He's preparing them in order to march. They, they've got a long way to go, and he's got a lot more to teach them. But they have an enemy, just like we have an enemy. So the parallels are just uncanny, and I hope that you get this. That's the exciting part of teaching the Old Testament. I love to see the parallels in the New Testament as well. Paul, in Ephesians 6, tells us this. says, New Testament believers, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why would he tell you that unless you were going to be in a battle? You and I as Christians today are in a battle. It's daily. For, for some of you, it's maybe more intense than for others. But we're all in battles. Again, that's the parallel with his Old Testament truth that we're learning here just like the children of Israel are now in the wilderness and they're going to have to defend themselves because of the battle, we, in, we as New Testament believers are in the wicked world and we have to defend ourselves in the battles. Paul gives us that evidence there in Ephesians chapter 6. So these people now, these, these herdsmen, 
They're, they're now going to be taught to fight. They're going to hear battle cries in the book of Numbers. They're going to hear trumpets. They're going to be threatened. They're going to have to get organized and get, stand in line to fight. All of these things are happening now for the first time for these people, just as you and I need to be prepared to fight a battle. Pastor Lee, I've never had to fight a battle before. I, I, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for a week, and I've got to conquer. I'm, yeah, you just wait. It's coming. But, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We stand in the Lord and the power of his might. We've been given the armor of God, spiritual armor to protect us. We have what we need. So we need to know where to go, what to do. Just as these people are being organized and ordered, we need to understand the same that we've been given those same kinds of things. Paul told Pastor Timothy, look at this verse. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's in the New Testament. That's Paul talking to Pastor Timothy. You need to endure hardness. It's, I love what it says in the, in the King James, endure hardness. I've always had that in my mind. Man, sometimes ministry is hard. Sometimes dealing with, with disobedient Christians or children is hard. But God calls us to stand up. So now chapter 3. We're going to move to the only tribe that hasn't been numbered thus far in this book. They have, they've been left out of the census, but now they're going to be counted. It's the priestly tribe of Levi who were not permitted to fight because they were to minister in the tabernacle and minister to the Lord. And that's why I've entitled this chapter here, Duties at the Tabernacle, because it's really about what they're doing. Chapter 4, we'll go a little further into what they're doing. But we begin in verse 1 with the priests and the family of Aaron. Now, these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron. Remember, Aaron is Moses' brother. He is the high priest. And his sons, Nadab, the firstborn, Abihu. Nadab and Abihu. Hmm, where have we heard those names before? We'll talk about that. And then Eleazar and Ithmar. These are the name of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests. That, that plural. So they, they were the anointed priests, Aaron, Nahab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ethamar, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Here they are here, Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithmar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron their father. So the first and second born, Nahab and Abihu, you know the story. They were the two eldest ch children of Aaron. They would have been the ranking priests right behind Aaron. They were in charge when, when uh, uh, Aaron, like many of us, have a cold or the flu. These guys would have stepped in his place and done the priestly duties. But you remember it's in Levi's, Leviticus chapter 10. They were killed by the Lord. They got drunk, and they, they, they raised strange fire before the Lord. They saw their uncle, Moses, and their dad, Aaron, when they prayed and fire came down from heaven. And they thought, that's cool. We want to do the same thing, and we want to do it so everybody will know us. And so they go out, and they offer strange fire. And what happens? They're burnt up. They're killed. They're consumed by that fire because they did something in disobedience. They did something wrong. They, they went against God and they did it their own way, their own selfish way to get their own power and prestige. And God said, mm -mm, not my presence. <clears throat> and they, the strange fire they offered actually consumed them. They were burned for that. Now, again, it's important to understand that these priests that we're talking about are descendants of Aaron. These are his sons. These four, two of them are, have died. But uh, now we're going to see these other priests that come into play here. The Levites, and they're called to serve, verse 5. It's a specific tribe that God chooses. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 6, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. So Aaron's got a big responsibility. There's this tabernacle that was just built. How's it going to be maintained? How is it going to, I mean, it's got to be maintained. Just like this building we're in has to be maintained. It doesn't look good. 
because you guys come to church. It looks good because it gets painted. There's people in this fellowship. Harold loves to paint. He painted that wall just the other day. And he comes in and paints stuff. That's his gift. He loves to do that. And there's other men that, that cut and groom, and there's women that serve and clean, and, and that's why we have this clean place. And then we actually have Ashley that does custodial work to, to clean in the bathrooms and make sure things are nice and clean and fresh for you. Those things have to be done. Think about this. Three million people camping in the desert. Where do they use the facilities? Who takes out the trash? What do they do with all this stuff? Somebody's got to do that work, right? All the, the animals that are brought in and all the stuff the animals drop everywhere before they're, you know, sacrificed. Well, who cleans that up? Who'd, it was the priest. That was their job. Sometimes after a counseling session, I feel like I'm cleaned up after somebody, so some disobedient Christian that, that doesn't want to listen to God's word. I feel like, man, I get my big old pooper scooper out, you know, scoop this stuff up. <laughs> But the priest, there had, to be, there had to be guys to do that, to do all this work. And so it's the Levites, the tribe of Levi, who's called to serve and help Aaron and the two assistant priests, his two sons as well. Verse 7, and they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting. So that just kind of gives you the idea that they're, they're going to do more than, they don't just pray and sing songs. They're doing the work to keep things clean and maintain and set up, as we'll see here. Also, they attend, verse 7, to all the furnishings, the tabernacle of meeting, and the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. So again, God is ordered. I'm struck every time I read this that God is a God of order. He has a very specific plan. If your pastor or one of the assistant pastors of this church gets a little, you know, type A about a drop piece of paper or something. It's because we, that's our job. We want the place to be, look clean. And we, we want, you know, I'm like crazy about cracks in the parking lot. I had the guys go around with a little thing and seal cracks. I, just, I hate cracks. Water gets in there and ruins the parking lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm all about filling cracks. And uh, the people... This Levites were called to do all of these different things under the direction of Aaron and the priests. Nothing is left to improvisation. Nothing is left to chance. Everything is ordered. God is that way. And so these men need to be schooled and they need to learn from Aaron and his sons. God's already given those instructions. So Aaron knows. Moses was the one that gave and watched over the construction of the tabernacle, as you recall, the last 10 chapters of Exodus. So he knew what he wanted and what God wanted. And now Aaron knows how God wants ministry to happen, how the tabernacle is to be set up and torn down. God is very specific about all those things. Notice verse 8. Uh, it says, meet the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. Again, that work had to happen, and they're helping and assisting Aaron. Verse 9, and you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. And here's the warning. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. The, the point here is that God has organized and he's ordered who, what, where, and why of all the, the priestly duties, the tabernacle, and if anyone thought they should have the right to do the work of the priest that wasn't ordained a Levite, then they would die if they broke God's law. God's very orderly. Don't do what God says don't do. Christian, even in the New Testament, God says it's wrong because God says it's wrong. God made two sexes, male and female, from the beginning. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. And for anyone to argue against that, you're arguing against God and his way. These are God's ways. So as God's people, we read the Bible and obey. Not the culture, not the latest fad, but God's word and God's way. And that's why we want it. So somebody thought, man, I'm the son of Judah. I'm of the tribe of Judah. I, I can do what the priest does. I'm going to step over the line. <laughs> Dust. 
wow, God was serious. He's very orderly, do it my way, obey my laws, and, and if not, yikes, you know, death. Verse 11, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine. Notice how he claims them. He's making a, a big point. The Levites are mine. They're to do my work my way. He's, he's choosing them, sovereignly electing them, choosing them, calling them out for this priestly duty here. And although they're assistants to Aaron and his sons, they're called to do this work and support the priests and all that. But, but ultimately, they belong to the Lord. God says, you're mine, and you're going to do it the way I prescribe. Verse 13, because all the firstborn are mine. And on the day that I struck the firstborn in the land of Egypt. So here's the firstborn, the concept here. Here it comes back all the way to Egypt and how they were delivered, right? They were delivered because the death angel struck the disobedient Egyptians and any disobedient Hebrews that did not slay the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. Firstborn were, were killed. So here's another reference now to the firstborn of the children of Israel versus the selection of God choosing the Levites. And he's going to substitute or swap. We'll see that later in the chapter. He's going to swap the firstborn with the Levites who he's sovereignly chosen here. And I'll explain that as we get there. Verse 44, just to show you this, and we'll get there in a little bit, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock. There's always been something about the firstborn, the first fruits, and the, the first that belongs to God. The firstborn son in a family, the firstborn child, the first fruit of the vine was always given to the Lord because it was the best. We give the best to God always. But here he's going to substitute, and again, you'll see that as we move through. Now, verse 14, the census and duties of the Levites. Here it is. We're, we're going to be introduced to these three sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, like Ferrari. Kind of interesting names. I, I always think of some different, you know, you know, planet, Goloth or whatever, you know, when I read these names. Is they're very interesting, these Hebrew names. But then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by their fathers' houses, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord, as he was commanded. These were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, Kohath, Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their names, Libni and Shimei the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, Uziel, and the sons of Merari by their families, Mali and Mushi. Kind of interesting, huh? These are the families of the Levites by their father's houses. So there's the census uh, is, is taken of specific Levites now, and their offspring, their families, their names. And now we're given the numbers of each family. So we start with Gershon, verse 21. From Gershon came the family of the Libanites and the family of the Shemites. These were the families of the Gershonites, those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from one month and above of those who were numbered were 7,500. So 7,500 males were numbered from Gershon and his household. And it's interesting, they're numbered from four weeks old and up, whereas before the tribes of fighting men and all the 11 tribes were numbered from 20 years fighting age and up. So there's a different thing going on here in the numbering and who was numbered. The Levites are numbered from four weeks old and, up. And, and according to verse 16, Moses numbered them. So they weren't numbered by the, all the other tribes. Remember, God organized the people, brought in all the, the main tribal names and said, okay, you go back to your people. I mean, because there's 100,000 in some of these families. 
and, and say, go, you go back and you number the people and bring the number back to me and I'll record it. In this case, Moses actually numbered, verse 16, all of these Levites. Then verse 23, the families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. And the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites was Elisaph, the son of Lael. The duties of the children of Gershon in the tabernacle meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, screen for the door of the tabernacle meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle and the altar, and their cords according to all the work relating to them. So there's 7,500 of them, and they're four weeks old and older. They were to camp on the west side of the tabernacle. Again, that picture, I, we'll show, I'll show it to you later, but you'll see how they're arranged around the tabernacle. And their duties were to take care of all the coverings, the skins that covered, kind of the rainproof coverings that would have been heavy. I mean, they, they wanted to rainproof the tabernacle. So remember, it had the skins of, of sea animals like uh, either whales or, or I can't remember the name offhand, but, but it, it pointed to a, a sea animal and its skin that had properties to shield and shed water. And uh, th that was their job. And then they had to carry around, set up and tear down the outer court hangings, all of the, the beautiful fabric that, that made the outer court. Next, we have the, this <coughs> Kohath and his family. Verse 27, from Kohath came the family of the Amorites, the family of the Izzerites, the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzzelites. These were the families of the Kohathites. According to the number of the males from a month old and above, there were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. The families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. Notice God's order here, very orderly and everything, all these instructions. Verse 30, and the leader of the father's house, the families of the Kohathites, was uh, Elizphan and Uziel. Their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, utensils, the sanctuary in which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites. So Eleazar, the son of Aaron, he's you know, next in line for high priest. He's got these guys. Why? Because they, they, they're dealing with the real important stuff, the important stuff inside the, the tabernacle. They were responsible for all of those things, the Ark, the Covenant that had the poles that ran through the rings that if you touched it, you were dead. The overlaid ark that was overlaid with gold and the beautiful candelabra and all of those utensils. These guys had that job. Their job was, and it's interesting when you look at how it's all set up, they set that up first and then they put the tent over it. We, we set up a tent and then we move our sleeping bag in it. In this case, these guys set up all these pieces and then they built the walls around. They set up the boards and the tent and the covering over the tabernacle. Really interesting the way that all worked out. But there are 8,600 of these Kohathites. I wonder if that was my relatives, Kohs. Kohathites. They were camped on the south sides. Not hardly. I guess I could check with 23andMe or whatever, one of those DNA things. Their duty included the ark. And all the furniture in the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the altar of incense, all of those things. And they were under the direction of Eliezer, the high priest. Then we have the next family, Merari, verse 33. From Merari came the family of the Mahalites, the family of the Mushites. These were the family of uh, Merari. And those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above were 6,200. The leader of the father's house, the families of Merari, was Zuriel, the son of Abhel. These were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. So there's their camping spot, the north side. And the appointed duty of the children of Merari included the boards of the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, sockets, utensils, all the heavy stuff. This is all the heavy stuff. I feel so, these guys must have been weightlifters because this is all the real heavy stuff here. And everything relating to them, verse 37, the pillars of the court all around and all their sockets, pegs, and cords. So if you look at all these families, these guys got the heavyweight stuff, the Merari, and, and only 62 
600, 6,200 males in that family. They camped on the north side of the tabernacle. Uh, they were the framers, you know, the, they carried the wood. They set up the tabernacle after the, the utensils were put in place, the, the sh table of showbread, the menorah, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant. When it was, then these guys would come in and put up the boards. They would hang the curtains. They would put, you know, very interesting how all the stuff that they had to do. Then now we come to the east side or the entrance to the tabernacle. Notice in verse 38, it's Moses, Aaron, and his sons that camped there. Moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was to be put to death. So he's, he and his sons are there at the entrance so if you tried to get by them and got by them and got into the tabernacle, you would be put to death. It's, it was sudden. It was commanded. God is a God of order again. You just don't go against the Lord. But again, here we're seeing how important the tabernacle is and God's whole uh, orderly progression of how it's to be set up and torn down and put together and, and who's to do what and how everyone's working together in unity for the benefit of the whole mass of three million people there in the desert. Uh, there were 22,000 of them in verse 39. So Moses and Aaron, they camp closest to that entrance there of the tabernacle on the east side. And God has ordered every job. He's called out by name. He's counted, Moses has counted all these these males that are going to be doing the work in the future. No one tribe or family did everything. They each had their job. One set up the interior furnishings. The other came and put up that. And the last family came and set up the outer court. They all had their job. Now, as I think of that organization, I'm thinking this thing could be torn down and, and set up really quick. I read one commentator who believed it could be done in 15 minutes. I don't know if that's true, but I don't think it took days to do. I think it just took hours. These guys were organized. They were well-oiled. They had God's order. When God orders things, he does it right. So they were able to set this thing up and tear this thing down really quickly. And again, here's the picture of this camp. So there's the tabernacle in the middle. Right here in the front, in the, down in the see those two little tents that are different than the other ones? Those, that's Aaron and his sons, the priest, guarding the front entrance, the east entrance there. And then you have the other tribes around the tabernacle, and then there's the little cloud there representing the pillar cloud, where the glory of God, and the little, I should have brought my little pointer. But we studied that whole interior and how it was made. And you'll even see there the, the signs of the um, north, south, east, and west there and, and the tribes that are all there uh, at the corners and then how the other tribes were arranged around the tabernacle there. So the, the interesting thing, again, is that God is using all these people. They all had a job. Everybody had a place. Everybody had something to do. Let me just take a moment to make application. In the church today, the local church and really the, the universal church, but primarily the local church, there are a lot of jobs that need to happen in order for a church to conduct a service. I'm always laughing at, at brides because a bride, when she knows she's going to get married and that date's been selected, don't get in her way. She's going to pick colors and sizes and flowers, the list is endless. It always makes me chuckle, you know, for a 30-minute for a service where they just walk in and the pastor says, you know, repeat after me and, and I do, I do, see ya, you know. And they invest time and money and effort for this one little, I, I know, Pastor Lee, that's so unfair. I'm a princess for a day. Well, I, no, I, all I'm saying is that you invest all your time and effort into that one little, th that one little service. And then it just, poof, it's gone. 
these guys, or, or even the work that we do in a church, we do this, I do this over and over and over again, week after week. I've been doing this for 30 some odd years. Organizing people, setting up services, making sure things are clean, the lights are on, there's something to look at in the back. All of those things that we do in, as priests, in a sense, in the, in the church today, it, it takes a, a bunch of people to do it. I don't do it alone. We have Eric as our worship leader. He coordinates and organizes and trains and gets music out. Philip does the same thing. We have drummers that have to practice and rehearse and get ready and, and submit to that. And then we come together and we worship with them. I teach the word, I, but I study, I study, study to present that to you. Someone cleans, someone teaches in Sunday school, the youth group, all the different things that it takes to keep a church orderly for a worship service. It takes a lot to do. Each job is done by a gifted member. Now, let's, let's hold our place here in Numbers. I want you to jump all the way forward in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because I want to make some application here for us. The, the church of God, the New Testament church, is very orderly. Everything that we do is to be very orderly. From the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you repent of your sin, you come to Jesus Christ, and you become born again. There, there's a whole list of things that happen to you. One of those things that happens to you is you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. Each individual member of each and every uh, church, local church, has been given a gift to be used for the benefit of all. It's a beautiful, glorious thing. We're seeing it in numbers, how God uses and organizes and everybody had a job to do. And as long as they all did their job, things were smooth. If you got out of place and tried to run into the temple, we I can do that. Done. Yikes. In God's church, we see a beautiful thing. Let, let's read from verse 1 what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, or a better rendering would be spiritualities, God's given spiritualities. The gifts of the Spirit are varied in number. The, there's, there's no one list of them, and I'll explain that. Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant, Paul says. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by stupid idols. You used to worship idols. You used to give them food. You used to sacrifice your babies to them. You guys did all kinds of crazy stuff to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you've been born again, and the Holy Spirit's come in, and he's revealed these truths to you. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Hear me. Read this. Look at what it says. For the profit of who? Your gift. Isn't for you. It's not about you. It's about everyone else in this room. You play the drums to the glory of God, not because you can play the drums, but you do the, play the drums to glorify Jesus and lift and elevate those around you. You share your gift of ushering, not for, because you can usher. Look at me. Watch how I usher. That's, that's, that's the wrong way. That's bad. That's yikes. <laughs> what you want to do is, is humbly serve so, so I get to serve. It's Wednesday night I get to go to church and serve God. And... And my little teeny gift, my little diverse gift that's different than everyone else, it, it benefits everyone else. It profits everyone else. For verse 8, to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, another faith, another gift of healing by the same Spirit, to another work of mir working of miracles and prophecy and discerning of spirits different kind of tongues to another interpretation of tongues. But one, verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. So you say, gee, pastor, I only have one gift. Uh, 
I, I only have one gift. Don't complain to me. It's the Holy Spirit. Look what it says there. Distribute into each one individually as who wills. Who wills the gift you have? Who does it? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not you. The, the gift that you have is not about you. I see this happen. I've seen it happen with brothers I know. I've seen it happen in Calvary's. It happens in Baptists and Methodists and any church organization where the pastor or the elder thinks that I am the elder. Look at my badge. I have a place. You know, their head's this big. They can hardly hold it up. They've just lost everything. We, we get a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. It's to be used for the benefit of everyone else. And when you use your gift for the benefit of everyone else, man, it is awesome. It's freeing. It's liberating. There's some guys in this room that get up early Sunday morning. You guys get up at like 5 in the morning. They come down here and they put a, a 20-pound blower on their back, and they blow the parking lot off of leaves. So when you drive in here, it's nice and clean. Did you know that? There's a group of guys that, even outside tonight, it's cold out there. They got a red vest on, not yellow. It's a red vest. And this red vest is for your safety. And it benefits who? Who does that benefit? Isn't that awesome? Are you thankful for that gift? I am. I'm amazed. I, I come to church, and I get to do this, and I love to do this. But I, I like to watch the support. There's Kenny in the sound room or David on Sunday mornings. There's the worship team up here. There's ushers all around the room. There's security outside. And then during the week, there's other people that don't, you don't see them on Sunday, but they're here doing other things. There's women that pray on Monday. You don't ever see them. And they're lifting you up in prayer. They're holding up. That's their gift. That's their ministry. But if they became selfish and said, you know what? They don't appreciate me at that old red barn. I'm going to go take my gift somewhere else. That hurts. That hurts every one of us. It also hurts the body when you don't use the gift that God's given you because you're afraid or because um, you want to do it your way. I'll, I'll only use my gift if I can do it my way. So there. What is that? That's, that's not the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of Sally, Sarah, whoever. That's, the Holy Spirit gives you a gift and you want to serve. And when you serve and use that gift, as small or great as it seems, the whole body is brought together. The whole body is edified and growing. Jesus gets all the glory. Amen? That's what it's all about. And that's what I see again and again in the variety of gifts, the diversity of gifts. I mean, this is just one list. There's many other gifts of the Spirit, Romans 12. I, I love that list. You can make a little note, read Romans. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 are the different lists of gifts. Pastor, what, what gift do I have? What gift do I have? I don't know. I didn't give it to you. Who gave you the gift? Who gave it to you? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Ask him. Ask God. When people come and say, Pastor, what's the gift I have? I nah, can't even tie your shoe, let alone have a gift. I don't know what you have. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Ask God, I'll pray with you. If you came to me, I would pray and say, Lord, you know, show this sister, this brother, this young person, this elderly woman, show them so that they can use their gift for the benefit of all. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Paul explains the use of spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4, saying this, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity, unity. The gifts of the Spirit are all about unity. You watch TBN, and you see people blabbing and smiping and grabbing and, and claiming. Those aren't gifts of the Spirit. That is hocus-pocus, mumbo-jumbo, Junk, Jesus junk. You don't want that. I'm telling you, it is. I've watched it for years. It's, it's people, peacocks. Look at me, look at me. That's what that is. Stay away from that, Christian. Use your gift humbly in the body of Christ and, and, and watch other people around you get built up, edified, as, as, as Paul puts it there in Ephesians 4. The purpose of the spiritual gifts in the church today is for unification. That's what it's for. It's not for you. It's not for the individual. So important to learn that. 
when you're not serving, when you're not using the gift God has given you, that he's chosen for you, other people aren't built up. And there's disunity instead of unity. So important to use your gift. Now, these final verses here, verses 40 through 51, we get the explanation here of why God exchanges the, the firstborn and the Levites. The, I'm calling it the firstborn swap here. Then the Lord said to Moses, going back to Numbers chapter 3, verse 40, the Lord said to Moses, Numbers, or number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above, and take the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, I am the Lord. Instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So here's the swap here. You shall take the Levites for me. I've chosen them. This is my sovereign, divine fiat. I'm making this choice. I'm choosing the Levites over the firstborn. That was my first principle, the firstborn. Now I'm choosing the Levites. I'm claiming them. I'm choosing them. And they were be, to be given to God for his use instead of the firstborn sons of Israel. Verse 42, so Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him, and all the firstborn males according to the number of names from a month old and above. Of those who were all numbered of them were 22,273. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras, and you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So there were 273 more firstborn sons in the 11 tribes, remember that age, four months and above, there were, there were 273 more than the Levites. So God required this money to be paid. This is what God required. He said, I'm choosing them and I want you to value them. So he put a value on the additional children of Israel, the 273 there, and this is a principle that's so important. It's teaching redemption. It's teaching substitution. God is substituting the Levites for the firstborn sons of Israel. And he's, he's uh, solidified that with this money that, that for the extra 273 there. The, the, the teaching of substitution in the Bible is so vitally important. I'm not going to go deep into it tonight. There's just not enough time. But here's, the, here's the, the gist of it. Your salvation cost God everything. God gave his only son, and Jesus Christ went to the cross, and he paid the penalty for your sin. sin. It's called substitution. He went there in your place. He was sinless. He took your place substitutionary atonement. It's, it's a beautiful truth in the Bible that Jesus went to pay our ransom. Here in Numbers, we're seeing this ransom money, this ransom money for the 273 overage that was paid back that showed that these are mine, God says. I choose them. I call them. They're mine. He's stamping them. He's choosing them. And he's swapping the firstborn of his sons of Israel with these Levites, and then there's this ransom that's being paid. We sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. and He's washed it all away by his substitutionary atonement. He paid the price of our ransom. First Peter, I love what Peter says here, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by the, here it is, tradition from your fathers. See, if you didn't read numbers, you wouldn't understand what that meant. The tradition of your fathers, what does that mean? Numbers, chapter 3. The, the endless payment 
for ransom. And then he goes on to say this, but you are redeemed. Your ransom was paid by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's substitution. It's a glorious truth in the Bible. Jesus went to Calvary's cross. He paid my debt. And here's here's the amazing thing. He didn't pay the debt of just an elect few. I I understand the doctrine of election. I understand it. I really do. But my view is that God loves all, and all have the opportunity. And here's a great verse for this in Hebrews 2. I love this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for who? Isn't that beautiful? It's a truth we see throughout the scripture. You have to believe and receive the gift that's offered in order to be born again, but it's offered to all or to everyone. And then look at verse 49 real quick in closing. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites from the firstborn of the children of Israel. He took the money, 1,365 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Do you see what Augustine meant when he said the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed? Studying the Old Testament, really important. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight and the study. Pray that these, your people, would gain uh, practical instruction, even the application of of using our gift that's been given by the Holy Spirit to benefit all. Lord, bless these people. And if there's anyone here that has never put their faith in Christ, may this be the evening that they receive that free gift of eternal life that's been offered. That they would understand that salvation's for everyone, but it must be received as a gift. Lord, do that work that only you can do in saving souls. Save people tonight, not only here in this church, but in many. So many lost people in San Bernardino, oh Lord, save them. Use this congregation as a testimony of your love and grace. May we share Jesus and the gospel. And may we get excited, Lord, about the Old Testament and these truths about substitution the truths about gifting and and working in unity. For your glory, for your honor, we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.